Well, good morning, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to get going. 60 Day Challenge starts today. Are you ready? Woo! I feel like a football coach up here. I'm going to have a lot more time this fall. My Huskies are losing like crazy, so I don't have to. Hello, hello, there we go. Okay, that'll work. We'll go uh, this route here today. It is great to see everybody here, and we do kick off our 60 days of spiritual growth. And uh, we've got a few things to kind of help you along the way. Make sure you get a study guide. Everybody wave a study guide if you got one on your way in. We hope to hand out to everybody. But if you didn't get one of those, make sure you do. Uh, we've got some stickers. I want you to take one of those as you leave. You're going to get these as you leave. Go ahead and put it on your forehead and keep it there for 60 days. Do not take it off. That's the challenge. Uh, get, a, get a wristband. Uh, what time is it? It's happiness time. That's what that wristband says. And I encourage you to pick one of those up and uh, just be thinking about the eight beatitudes, the eight secrets of what it means to live a happy life. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next 10 weeks. Notice uh, every day I'm going to be doing a uh, devotional. You can find that on Facebook. Been doing that probably for the last 125 days or so. We're going to continue that. Watch one of the pastor's uh, uh, daily vlogs. We've got our pastoral staff doing a vlog every uh, week, uh, day, day, and so we encourage you to check that out. Uh, use this as a personal uh, devotional or get in one of the Rethink uh, small groups and uh, walk through the eight Beatitudes, losing the study guide. Uh, we have our rooted groups, as Adam talked about earlier. We have three think small groups, and we also have class small groups. So three different kinds of groups that you can be a part of if you'd like to join those. And I just want to encourage you today to really think deeply about taking this 60-day challenge. And then talk to the Lord daily about wanting to become a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's our desire. That's our heart, is that we will become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. So for these next 10 uh, uh, weeks, we are going to study... The uh, Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are found in the, in the very beginning of the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn to Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5 through 7, you see the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest, greatest sermon that has ever, ever been given by the greatest man who's ever walked this earth, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount has been called the essence of the teaching of Christ. Well, if that's true, the Beatitudes is the essence of the essence because the Beatitudes is the quintessential teaching of Christ. And so what we're going to be looking at and talking about is the most important teaching that Jesus Christ ever gave. And if we were to get one thing right, we need to get these eight secrets right. And I want to challenge you to take it very, very seriously with me. In fact, I want you just to hear my heart as your pastor and friend. It's time to get serious. There's no time to be in neutral. Uh, we got to put it in drive. We need to move forward in our faith. We need to be all about Jesus Christ. Don't get caught up in secondary issues. Don't get pulled aside by other things. Focus on Jesus, living like Jesus, learning of Jesus, loving like Jesus, leading other people to Jesus. That's what it's all about. More than anything in all the world, we need to understand how Jesus taught, how he thought, how he acted, how he related to other people, his values, kingdom values. I want to just challenge you to think deeply Rethink happiness. Rethink what it really means to live a happy, happy life. Two weeks ago today, 
my daughter-in-law received a text message from my son, who we knew was somewhere in the Middle East. I thought he was in Qatar. Uh, others thought he was other places. He was off the grid for uh, several weeks, and we weren't quite sure where he was at or what he was doing. But Rachel received a text. She got it that morning and showed us uh, later in the day. It was kind of a busy day two weeks ago, Sunday. And uh, my son posted a picture of himself uh, with uh, a bunch of images behind him, and it said, leaving Kabul. And I had just been watching, like all of us, the news and everything that was happening in Afghanistan, the 13 uh, Marines, military individuals who were blown up in the explosion, uh, watching all that was on there. When I heard he was in the middle of all that, I have to be honest with you, I was, I was numb. I was numb. As I thought of the flag-draped caskets, as I thought of all I read about the 13 families who had lost a loved one, as I heard about the carnage and everything that I had been reading and studying rather uh, intensely just kind of came flooding back to me, uh, it, was a, it was an emotional moment. As I was holding my son's son in my arms and looking into the eyes of my son's pregnant wife, it was a very numbing experience, and I had to kind of quietly steal away around a corner to get a hold of my emotions. It was, it was deeply, deeply moving. Rachel and Lisa were able to talk to Reggie the next day. Our schedules didn't match up, so it wasn't until about four days later that he and I got to FaceTime. But just to hear the incredible, tragic situation, you know, the emotion on the faces of those refugees. Reggie was one of the last planes out. In the back of the picture, there were refugees on the plane he was on. You know, he said, it looked like a lot of pictures I've seen from concentration camps, just the despair. Not only did the 13 service personnel pass away, but many others died, and they had to spend a lot of time caring for those bodies human excrement everywhere. I mean, flesh was pressed into a very small, confined area. You saw some of the pictures. It was overwhelming. I don't need to tell you this today, but I'm going to tell you today as your pastor and friend, it is time to get serious about Jesus. Think like Jesus. Relate to other people like Jesus, even if they don't believe the same way you do. Treat other people like Jesus treated other people, even if they disagree on a lot of things that you agree on. It's time to be Christian and to live like Jesus and love like Jesus and lead other people to Jesus. If anybody agrees with me, say a big amen. It is time to get serious. We are Christians. That means we live like Jesus. We don't take a pass and say, well, I'm going to call myself a Christian but live like this. I'm going to call myself a Christian but treat other people like that. Where do we get off thinking that's okay? It's time to get serious. You don't need me to tell you that, but I am anyway. May we strive for authenticity. Over these next 60 days, I want to challenge you to experience a personal revival. 
and you see it on the screen. I want you to read Scripture intensely. I want you to pray passionately, serve lovingly. I want you to obey relentlessly, give generously, love deeply. I want you to do these things and join me as I want to do these very same things. The world is only going to be changed by Jesus Christ, and he has chosen to use people like you and me to get that done. But we have to be a clear representative of Jesus Christ. It can't be fuzzy or foggy. Less of self and more of him. That has got to be our motto motto and mantra every single day. May God use us and help us. Jesus said, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself daily. Deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow me. Someone once said, salvation is the miracle of a moment, but true discipleship is the journey of a lifetime. That's true. Discipleship, following Jesus, becoming more and more like him, that's the journey of a lifetime. I want to define a few terms as we get started. We're laying the foundation here today, and then starting next week, we're going to look at beatitude number one, then beatitude number two, and move through them over these next 10 weeks. Secrets. This isn't like, hey, did you hear this about so-and-so? Not that kind of a secret. When we talk about the eight secrets of a happy life, we're talking about the absolute essentials, the absolute essentials of what it means to live a happy life. Cambridge Dictionary says the particular knowledge and skills needed to do something very, very well. You know, what is the secret of being a good cook? You know, what is the secret of a happy life? You know, what are the essentials? Greg McCowan has written a book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And in there he talks about priorities, you know, putting first things first. And he makes a a quote early in the book. He says, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And friends, I want to just challenge this. Let's not be caught up in peripheral matters. May the main thing be the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus living his life, his values, his priorities, loving people like Jesus loved. The second term that we want to define is happiness. What does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to you to be happy? I'll tell you what it means to my dog, Rex. Anything that has to do with outside, that's what it means to be happy. Running, digging, chasing, uh, working with my grandson, Rowan. I mean, anything, you know, that has to do with outside. I mean, he's all about it. That makes him really, really happy. And then there's my uh, grandson, Rowan. He, too, likes to be outside. We have two two two-year-olds in our house right now. They both like to go outside. And Rowan likes to run outside, go outside, go on walks, go to the park. As long as he has a monster truck in his hand. You see the monster truck right there? Got to have a monster truck in his hand. Oh, and then he also likes boxing Papa. He likes boxing Papa. That's great fun, slapping and boxing Papa's face. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But how about you? What makes you happy? What is your definition for happiness? The science of happiness is its own discipline. Books are written. Certifications can be earned, so can degrees. You can get a degree in happiness. One of the most popular studies at UCAL Berkeley is a study on happiness, if you can imagine that. Interesting, fascinating. Catherine Nelson Coffey, a PhD, said in The Science of Happiness and Positive Psychology 101, happiness is understood as the positive emotions we have in regards to pleasurable activities we take part in through our day. I read that phrase, positive emotions, in regards to pleasurable activities. What about when things aren't pleasurable? Does that mean we can't be happy? The Bible has a different definition than that. 
In its website, the staff at positivepsychology.com says, happiness has been a human pursuit as long as we can remember. It's been a human pursuit as long as we can remember. The sad thing is many people are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. All the wrong places. As Christians, we know the eight secrets to a happy life. But many are searching, but they're sadly looking in all the wrong places. Irene Cohen, a Ph.D., said in her work, a simple five-step process for achieving daily happiness. She said, everyone is engaged in the pursuit of happiness, even though happiness isn't always easy to catch. For that very reason, there are countless theories and ideas out there for how to become happy. It's my experience, she writes, there isn't a one-size-fits-all formula for happiness. I beg to differ. There is a one-size-fits-all formula for happiness, and it's written by Jesus Christ, the living Lord. It's called the eight secrets to a happy life. If you want true happiness, fulfillment, complete, internal happiness, Jesus says, here's how. Here's how you do it. The Bible definition, and here's a simple, simple definition for happiness, is a deep internal joy anchored in an eternal God. A deep internal joy anchored in an eternal God. So whether times are going super well or not so good, we can be happy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Internal joy found in Jesus Christ, our loving Lord. The eight secrets of a happy life. You know, I was uh, interested to think about this word kingdom as well. And just a real quick definition for kingdom. It's Jesus' values, his virtues, his way of life, what it means to be Christian, what it means to live the Jesus life. And the Beatitudes are a window in to seeing what it means to be members of his kingdom. Keep that in mind as we work our way through. And then finally, rethink. Rethink means to reassess, reexamine, review, refocus, return, reclaim. Think again and think thoroughly. As you wear this wristband, as you go through the, through the study guide, as you use the sticker, as you come every week, as you study every day, rethink what it means to be truly happy. Jesus style. What does it mean to live a truly happy life? The eight secrets will tell us how. An NBC News survey recently said that only 14% of adults in the U.S. are truly happy. 14%? I thought, that is amazing. That seems way low. 14% that I started to think about, and I thought, you know, I mean, that's probably fairly close. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it seems like there's lots of unhappiness. Lots of people are unhappy today. You know, we live in a deeply conflicted day, more than I can, uh, I can think of in my lifetime. I mean, things are deeply, deeply conflicted. As a result of this conflict, families are fractured, relationships have been ruined, and good friendships have been severed. I hear it over and over and over again. With all the different views on politics and pandemics and all the things that we can imagine, and we can come up with 10, 12, 15 different issues, those have become more important than relationships 
and people's relationships have suffered. Even in the church, conflict and disunity is rife. Happiness is waning in the lives of many. And we need to rethink happiness. Friends, we need to return to the eight secrets of a happy life. I had a great, great privilege the last week of August and the first week of September to teach 20 pastors from four different countries on Zoom. They uh, were in New Zealand, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, and uh, Tonga. And uh, I uh, did my day job during the day, uh, obviously being pastor at BCA, and then uh, went home and from five at night till 10 at night, five hours each night for nine nights, I did a lot of talking. And you said, Rob, we, you hardly ever talk. I, I can hardly imagine that could happen. But uh, five hours each night, five hours one week, and then a couple days off on the weekend, then we went out at another four uh, days, and we talked about leadership and ministry. And as I gave examples and illustrations about what has happened in America over this last year and a half, they all just stared at me. They looked at me. We, we can't relate to that. That's not happening in our country. Oh, the pandemic is. You know, but we're used to wearing masks. We always wear masks, so that's not kind of a big issue. But, you know, I talked about all the other issues that have become bigger than life, and they just stared at me. And I thought to myself, what a sad, sad story. It's uniquely an American thing. And the work of ministry and being Christian and loving Christ and living for Christ is vitally important, more important than ever before, friends. And we need to make sure that the most important thing in our life is Jesus and the one we love the most is Jesus. And he will guide us and lead us. I heard somebody say this. And I think it's important. Make it your goal in life, more, more so than the other, not to make a point, but to make a difference. I think there's so much making points today that unfortunately not enough people are trying to make a difference. And regardless of where you are and whatever issue you want to talk about, May I encourage all of us to fall more in love with Jesus Christ than we ever have before and pray that his life and love will radiate through our life and that we will live out and flesh out the eight secrets of a happy, happy life. Let's be different. Let's be Christ-like. The great Beethoven said, recommend virtue to your children it alone, not money, can make them happy. And when I think of the eight secrets of a happy life, I think of the virtues and values of Jesus, the virtues of kingdom living. And we would do well to replicate every single one of them. In Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You've read these words so many times. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 5 through 7, we see the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man who ever lived. And these opening verses 
as I mentioned earlier, is the quintessential teaching of Jesus. I've been to the Mount of Beatitudes where this incredible sermon has been preached. I've stood there and I've thought to myself, I am standing right here, right now on this mountain that is as practical as it is picturesque. It served as a natural amphitheater. Jesus would preach on the mountain and his voice would go down to the water and it would bounce back up and all of his listeners could hear beautifully. It's as if there was a a sound system and there was a natural sound system there. And Jesus preached and he proclaimed and he shared and he mentored and he taught them about what it meant to be children of the kingdom of heaven. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man who ever walked this earth, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, contained in these opening 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes are considered the beautiful sayings of Jesus. That's what Beatitude means. And the word blessed in the Greek, makarios, means happy. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are meek. In other words, happy are you when you do these things. Happy are you if you choose to live this way. Happy are my children in the kingdom of heaven who live out the virtues and values of the kingdom. It's not a superficial happiness. It's an eternal joy, as I mentioned a minute ago, based on a relationship with the eternal God. It's not based on the fickle circumstances of life. If I just make a little more money, if I just get this job, if I just do this, do that, then I'll really, really be happy. No, it's based in a deep relationship with an awesome, constant, almighty, faithful God. Come what may, good or bad, we can always have joy in Christ. Amen? Happy are you if you live this way. I notice the deliberateness in the first couple of verses in which, he, in which he states these things. He says, it says here that he went up on a mountain and he positioned himself in the right geographical place. Again, it was a human, or excuse me, a natural amphitheater. He sat down, it says. This is the posture of all Jewish teaching. His listeners would have understood what that meant. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get a lesson here. It says he opened his mouth. That's a, an idiom uh, that's used often uh, in, in Old Testament Hebrew that says, okay, get ready, get ready. Something really important is about to be shared. And then it says simply he taught them. And that's an expression uh, in the original language for formal teaching, not what he often did, walking along the road, sharing parables, those kind of things. He was getting down and just laying it out line upon line upon line. They understood that. The eight secrets of a happy life are radical and revolutionary. I mean, we have the, uh, the smiley face here. Jesus had a way of turning things upside down. Or maybe you would say they were upside down and he turned them right side up. That might even be a better way to say it. Jesus taught principles of an upside down kingdom. He taught something that was counterculture. The Beatitudes would have been counterculture. They were not the norm in that day, and they certainly are not the norm in this day. And as powerful as they were then, they're just as powerful today. As desperately needed then, they're desperately needed now. And I want you just to look at them just briefly. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are you if you understand you are nothing without God. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people who had lived out a religion based on six. 113 laws. 
They didn't need God. They had a bunch of laws. All they had to do was perfectly follow them. That was their religion. They were self-absorbed. They were man-made. They didn't need God. They had rules. Jesus said that's all backwards. You need to understand that the work of God is the work of the Spirit. The work of God is the work of your inner spirit and soul and center and core. You've got to get right with God relationally. It's not just doing a bunch of stuff. It's being in relationship with the living God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who understand sin is destructive and it destroys people in relationship. Blessed are you who mourn over sin and are deeply moved by your sin and convicted by your sin. He's talking to a group of people that had a calloused heart. They were unrepentant. They didn't care about sin. They had rules. Blessed are the meek. Jesus says, respect others. Put other people first. Be humble. He was talking not only to a Jewish people that were not only lacking in humility, but they lived in the backdrop of a Roman culture (laughs) that was anything but meek. Blessed are the righteous. Blessed are those who do justice and kindness and compassion. He's talking to a group of people that were living in a culture that was all about injustice and prejudice. Whatever we can do to get ahead, that's what we're going to do. Blessed are the merciful people who forgive quickly. Blessed are the pure in heart, people who question their own motives and make sure they're doing the God thing, the right thing, the empathetic thing, the loving thing, the kind thing. That was foreign to his hearers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who build bridges. He's talking to a culture who said, no, it's all about advancing my own agenda. I don't want to build a bridge of peace. I want to win. I want what's best for me. I don't care about the other person. And blessed are those who live with conviction during times of persecution. See it as an opportunity to show your faith. He's talking to a Jewish people that just wanted to fight, just wanted to fight. I want to give you just a few thoughts as we wrap things up that will be very helpful as we go in our series ahead. What are some guiding principles in understanding the Beatitudes? I'm going to go through these quickly, but they're important. So I encourage you to write them down. There's a place for you to write them down here in your book if you want to keep it all there. That's why I handed it out today. But the Beatitudes describe the standard of behavior for all Christians. The Beatitudes are descriptive and prescriptive. They describe what a Christian is. So if you want to know what is Christian, it's these eight. And it also prescribes for you and me what we are to become. We need to become more and more poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, and so merciful, peacemakers, etc. through all eight. It's both descriptive and prescriptive. Many Christians settle for subnormal so that to become normal seems abnormal. (laughs) The reality is these eight are the norm. These are the standards. Jesus says this is the standard of life in the kingdom of heaven. This is what I expect of my followers. And these are the eight secrets that lead to a happy life. Happy are you. Blessed are you. Makarios is the Greek word. Jesus said, I want you to live authentically, visibly, thoroughly, deeply. Now listen, there are a lot of versions of Christianity right now. 
There's a lot of people that claim, well, this is Christian, that's Christian. You know, syncretism is not only found in the deep, dark heart of Africa, where people add animism and a little bit of this and a little of that, and they stir it up and come up with their own religion. Throughout America, people are coming up with their own version of Christianity. And yet everybody thinks, no, I'm doing it just the way Jesus wants. I'll tell you how you decide. You compare a person's version of Christianity to the eight secrets of a happy life. This is Jesus' version of what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And we filter our life through these eight Beatitudes to determine what he wants us to become and who we are supposed to be as Christians. You could read it this way. Instead of blessed are... The poor in spirit, Christians are poor in spirit. Christians mourn. Christians are merciful. Christians are pure in heart. Christians are peacemakers. This is what it means to be Christian. Secondly, every beatitude is to be lived out by every Christian. (laughs) It's not multiple choice, folks. How many thought it was? Go ahead, be honest. It's not multiple choice. It's not, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good in this one, but not so much in that one. Hey, I've got a friend that's really merciful but not very pure, but that's okay. That's not how it works. All eight, all eight. We're all in on all eight. And that's why we ask Christ to help us be the people he wants us to be. The Beatitudes, number three, are not natural tendencies. A pre-Christian, somebody who's not yet a Christian, cannot just kind of work up enough virtue to do these. You can't be poor in spirit without being poor in spirit. You can't be saved without recognizing you need a Savior. You can't be a servant of Jesus without serving Jesus. I need to understand there's nothing that I can do to earn eternal life. It's only through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that I can find my way to heaven. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven of my sins. If I'm going to go to heaven, only Jesus Christ can do that. They're not natural tendencies. I need the Spirit of God working in me. I need the power of the resurrected Christ to work in me. It's not easy to be a peacemaker, but with the power of God, we can do all things. Amen? We can build bridges to severed relationships. We can reach out to the disenfranchised. We can do everything Jesus calls us to do in the power of Jesus Christ. So we invite him in, and his spirit is at work in us, and he gives us the strength to grow and grow and become more and more like him. Number four, the Beatitudes serve as a test to see if we're really Christian. I kind of touched on that a moment ago, but let me just hit it quickly again here. I want you to join me in evaluating your life, even right now, in light of these eight Beatitudes. And then I want to encourage you to emulate the prescription Jesus Christ has given us in these eight Beatitudes so that you can join me in elevating our followership of Jesus Christ. Evaluate, emulate, elevate. Jesus Christ, help me with my broken relationship. Be a peacemaker like you were a peacemaker. May I honor God in my relationships. On each of these eight, as we work through them, ask God, to help you be more and more and more like him. These 80 attitudes tell us what it means to be Christian. They're a self-examination 
tests. We filter our life through them. Finally, Jesus listed the Beatitudes in sequential order. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't get to two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight if we don't first understand that we desperately need Jesus. I can add nothing to my salvation is through Christ alone, Christ alone. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to be a follower of yours. And we invite him in as he forgives us of our sins and we're saved. Conversion happens when we accept Christ as Savior. And then we understand the gravity of sin. Blessed are those who mourn. And it helps us find humility because we realize it's not about us. There's nothing I can do. My righteousness is as filthy rags, and so I can be humble much easier. And that humility helps me find righteousness and mercy and purity and so forth. We'll talk about that these weeks ahead. I want to close with this next slide. Would you joining, join me in these action steps as we get ready to pray? Today we kick off 60 days of spiritual growth. This can be one of those things where you go, hey, Pastor Rob's fired up. Isn't that great? Good for him. That's awesome. Woo! He wrote a study guide. He's got a sticker, and he's wearing a wristband. That's really, really cool. Okay, now I'm going to go have lunch and forget everything we talked about today. Or you can do exactly what I plan to do, and that is make these 60 days different, special, carved out, marked out to dig into God's Word, dissect the Beatitudes, apply them ruthlessly to my life, vigorously pray, reach out, re-examine, and then re-examine again my personal testimony, and strive more than ever before to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. So I would encourage you to commit. Study these eight Beatitudes over and over, week after week after week. Get in a group. Go through the devotional study guide. Determine which one of these eight beatitudes you struggle with the most. Maybe it's hard for you to forgive someone. So blessed are the merciful. That's a tough one. Maybe there's some people in your life that are just really causing you a lot of angst. So peacemaking, that's tough. Maybe you've been trying to decide if you want to be a follower of Christ. So blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the one that you need to really kind of continue to work on. I hope BCA can be a place where you can come and learn and kick the tires of faith and over time find your way to Christ. We want this to be that kind of place, both online and in person. And then rethink what it means to be truly Christian. Ask God to align your heart, your attitude, your conversation, your relationships, your compassion for others, the virtues of Christ, to align those with his, and then finally pray. Pray right now with me and pray every day for 60 days. Lord, may I be more like you. I long more than anything in my life, Lord, to be a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Give me the strength. Give me the passion. Stir my heart. Change my mind. Help me rethink. Lord, I pray for my friends here today as we wrap up this service. Lord, we look forward to an incredible journey over these next 10 weeks where we're talking about Jesus and the values of Jesus and the virtues of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. You are our Lord and Savior. You are our master. You are the captain of our lives. You are our Lord, our Savior, our resurrected King. We are followers of you. We are disciples of you. 
We are not followers of somebody else or some ideology. We are followers of Jesus Christ, the living Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help me, you'll help us, you'll help us as a church get it right when it comes to these eight secrets to living a happy life. May these beatitudes be fleshed out in our life and shine victoriously through our lives so that all who know us know there's something different about those folks down there at BCA. They live and love and lead like Jesus. It's uncanny. It's unbelievable. They're serious about Jesus. If you're here today and you have not committed your life to Jesus, would you do that right now? If you'd like to make peace with God through faith in Christ, just simply pray a prayer I prayed, so many of us prayed long ago, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. And if you pray that prayer, please, please tell me about it. Fill out the online connection card or the one right in front of you if you're seated here. Drop it in the black box as you leave. We want to follow up with some great, great next steps for you that we know will really be helpful. Lord, I pray your blessing for each and every one that's here as we purpose in our own hearts to make these next 60 days different. God, as we purpose to really seek after you and get after these eight, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you give us strength and encouragement. I pray your blessing on our church. I pray your blessing on everybody who's here. I pray your blessing on those in other services, those listening online. God, I pray you'll stir our faith. May we reach higher. May we go farther. And may we grow deeper in Jesus these next 60 days than we thought possible. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a closing song, and our prayer team is here. If you have a special need you'd like prayer for, we encourage you to come down during the song or after. Maybe you'd like to stand in for someone who's going through a really challenging time. We just want to invite you to come for prayer. We're going to sing a song, and then we'll be dismissed. God bless you.